Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Uh, I think it's, it's sad to know that week after week, preachers uh, pour their heart and soul into a message. They, we, they work hours and hours and hours on getting it just right and get up, and uh, the folks kind of look at the preacher like, all right, now bless us if you can, but you got 18 minutes or whatever. And the pastor just uh, gives everything he's got and all that preparation and all of that uh, momentum just kind of comes uh, to an end abruptly at 12 o'clock or at 9.30, which is about what time our service is supposed to be over. And you wonder an hour later how many people have taken anything from it. Now, understand the Bible promises that God's Word does not return void. And uh, it is rooting in our heart. The Bible says that we are to hide God's Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against Him. So certainly, anytime the Word of God is preached, it does its work. But tonight, I want to give you some things that tomorrow morning when you wake up, I hope you're still thinking about. And on Sunday, you're still thinking about, and a week from now and a month from now, just some simple truths on the subject, what is a healthy church? What is a healthy church? For a number of years, it was my privilege to pastor a gentleman who was our community doctor. He had moved there around 1950 as a young man and never left. Toward the end of his life, he suffered from chronic depression. And I talked with him one day about this, and he said this, It's so hard to watch people that you love grow old and die. But I thought about the depressing feeling that you and I have sometimes when we read the statistics and we look at what's going on in America when it comes to the church and when you're seeing so many congregations aging and literally dying out. As I mentioned last night, some 5,000 churches this year will close their doors. So it almost seems as though that health is the exception rather than the norm. So I just want us to think tonight, and uh, I believe there are healthy churches in urban settings and healthy churches in rural settings. There are healthy churches with young people and healthy churches with um, elderly people. I'll tell you this, and by the way, I've got information tonight about our camp and would love to share that with you. I'd love for you to bring a group uh, so they'll be here on the front row or come as a family and just have a wonderful retreat. Maybe send uh, your pastor and wife that they would come and just hang out with us and enjoy the time there. But it is amazing to see the different types of churches that come our way. Not too long ago, we had a youth group that came down from uh, Chesapeake, Virginia. And uh, they were uh, sort of a, a rough and tough group of middle schoolers and a few high schoolers. And their youth director was in her mid-80s. And uh, it, it caught me fairly strange, but she said this. She said, our church is almost all elderly men and women, mostly women. 
And she said, the fact is in our community, there are a number of young people and they do not come to church. And in essence, like these sweet children that have been here this week where the moms and the dads bring them, but they'll come, they'll walk to the church. Sometimes some of the members will go by and bring them if it's inclement weather and that kind of things. So they've been coming to the church and they want to be a youth group. They want to have youth Sunday school and they want to have youth fellowships and they want to take trips and they want to go to summer camp. So if they're going to go to summer camp, it's up to us mid 80 year olds to take them. I want to tell you that church has got some amazing signs of health that probably wouldn't be diagnosed by a survey or by the latest, uh, you know, poll in the biblical recorder. So I just want to share with you some things, some simple truths. Begin looking verse number 43. And fear, that is the awe of God, came upon every soul. I wonder, does the church today truly experience awe? Almost without exception, on a weekly basis, somebody comes to our camp there at White Lake, three acres right on the water. It's a former motel and cottage that we were able to buy. And and they'll come on that property this week. It was the driver from Home Depot who brought us um, uh, some bathroom fixtures, delivered them Saturday morning, and I met him over there. And uh, a really kind uh, uh, black gentleman, his name was Anthony, and he got out of that uh, Home Depot truck, and he looked around, and he said, you the preacher? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you mean to tell me that a church owns this place? And, of course, I gave him the real spiritual answer. I said, well, technically God owns it, but he's allowing us to be a steward of it, of it right now. And that was a great blessing. And he said my favorite word, wow. And, and we, we look at that and we look at what God is doing and we say, wow. But if we're not careful, we'll get so used to seeing it. We'll get so used to singing Amazing Grace We'll get so used to the worship and the fellowship and the sweetness that is this thing of the church that we will lose our wow for it. By the way, let me just say, if you leave the service and you say, wow, wasn't the music out of this world? Or if you leave the service and you say, wow, wasn't the preacher on fire today? Then you've really missed the point. But if you leave and you see and you say, wow, isn't God good? Wow, isn't God at work? Wow, wasn't it a blessing to be in the presence of God? Wow, wasn't it wonderful to worship our Lord? That's what it's all about. So the Bible says that fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and many signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. That's amazing right then and there. The Bible says they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and a singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be. Saved. Father, in these moments of study tonight, reveal the great truths of this text. Help us to see what is a healthy church. Diagnose us, God, where we are, our health, our state of well-being. God, where there's areas that need improvement, I pray we would improve. Lord, that you would show us and give us due diligence in this matter tonight. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Tom Rainer says this, churches have become so cluttered that people have a difficult time encountering the simple and powerful message of Christ. The people are doing church rather than being the church. So tonight we're going to look at this brief text at what is a healthy church. Number one, a healthy church prays together. Now, you might say, preacher, you mean to tell me you came all the way from White Lake to tell us something so very simple. I do not believe there is a whole lot of praying going on in the church today. Now, I believe we pray much when it comes to keeping saved people out of heaven. Far more than we do about keeping lost people out of hell. Now, I just want you to know something. If I'm 112 years old on life support, hadn't spoke a word in 10 days, hadn't ate a morsel of food in two weeks, don't you start praying the Lord keep me here. I'm just going to tell you. Because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My home's up yonder above the blue or the gray as the case may be. The fact of the matter is that we need to understand that prayer is not some kind of emergency tool when one of the brethren or one of the sisters are in trouble. There is nothing wrong with praying. In fact, the book of James says that when someone is sick, they're to call upon the elders, anoint them, lay hands on them, and pray. For the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Nothing wrong with that. But if that is all our prayer life is in the church, then we're missing the point. The early church understood the importance of prayer. Think about this. What does prayer truly accomplish? Now, there are times that when I think about prayer, I think about when I was a little boy. And it'd be, oh, I don't know, maybe a month or three weeks before Christmas. And I would begin thinking about what I wanted. Now, I'm not as old as your pastor. I know when he was a little boy, you just got a basket with some fruit and nuts in it and that kind of thing. I understand. But I grew up where we did get stuff, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. And, and, and I remember, you know, how I would always try to drop these subtle hints about what I wanted for Christmas. I didn't have big wants. I wanted little things in comparison to what kids would probably want today. But I wanted to make sure that my parents knew what I wanted. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we're basically dropping subtle hints to God of what we want. But at the end of the day, prayer is not about telling God what we want, but begging God to bring about what He wants. Many years ago, visitors would go to the great London Tabernacle. And they would want a tour and they would want to see the pulpit behind which Charles... Spurgeon would proclaim the great message of the gospel. They would want to go in and see the pews where worshipers in a lottery system would only be able to come once or maybe twice a month to hear that great man of God. They wanted to see the beauty of the building, but on occasion, as visitors were lining up for their tour, Spurgeon himself would go and begin greeting people. And he would say, would you like to see the most important room in all of the tabernacle? And of course they did. They expected to get to a personal visit to his study or some other place in the church. But he would open the door to the basement and begin making his way down into the cellar and then finally into what was, in essence, the old boiler room. 
And in that place, he would explain that that boiler room was located right below the pulpit. And yes, while he was up there preaching those powerful messages from the Word of God, that he had a team of saints on their knees begging God to fill that place and to fill that pulpit and to fill those pews with God's power. And he said, the prayer of the saints is where the power of the Spirit begins. Now I can promise you we're never going to have revival in the church until we truly become people who are passionate prayer warriors. We're never going to have true national revival until my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Two things. Prayer number one unites the body. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't like going through the trials and the tragedies of being a church when we hurt together and when we mourn together and when we grieve together. I know what it's like to gather in a church building and all of the members of that church come in in the evening because they've gotten word that there's one of their young men in their youth group missing. And they have no idea where he is, but currently they're dragging the pod. And those people come together and they pray. And as I'm standing there as a, as a local pastor from another church, I, I'm there sort of a witness to what's going on. And I see people who have not spoken in years because of issues of land ownership and setbacks and all those kind of things that people sometimes in the country get kind of bent out of shape about. I saw people fall on their knees and hold hands and pray. People who won't even attend the same worship service because one likes it contemporary and one likes it traditional. But the, uh, the, the ultimate need of prayer in those moments brought the saints of God together. I've been in the hospital before where a young person had had a fall and they weren't sure how serious his head injuries were. And a mama and a daddy who were going through a bitter divorce came together and hugged and embraced and began praying in the sweet name of Jesus because they had a common interest in that moment. Prayer unites the body. But we should not just be a people who pray when there's a tragedy, but we pray even in the midst of triumph, thanking God for the one who causes it. So prayer unites the body. But number two, prayer ignites the body. Prayer ignites the body. If you look over and over and over again in the New Testament, Almost without exception, every great move of God, there is a climactic point where prayer had been made and God's power is revealed and something amazing takes place amongst the people. By the way, the Bible tells us that there's a danger when there's no longer a spirit of prayer in the church. When there's a a spirit as if we can handle things all on our own, God. Matthew 21, verse number 13, the Bible says this. Jesus, of course, is cleansing the temple. He said, you have made my house nothing more than a den of thieves, but it was intended to be called a house of prayer. 
Now, you, you remember this story. Jesus goes in, the money changers are there, and, and they're shortchanging people, and they're taking advantage of people. And Jesus, furious and indignant, goes in and begins overturning the tables. In fact, when we see this, we see the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ explode on the scene. And Jesus, who could not commit sin in that moment, we understand why the Bible says, be angry and sin not. He took care of business. Now, when you read that story, doesn't it make you a little bit angry at those people who are in there using the house of prayer as a house of thievery? Is that not angry? Can I tell you, almost 30 years of preaching the gospel, one thing I've seen over and over and over and over again is how many people want to use the church for what they can get out of it. Folks that will come to church when there's something being offered, but never when there's something being demanded or needed. Folks coming to church as if it's some kind of good luck charm or or somehow might help them get that promotion or somehow might help them get that good grade. My house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. But a healthy church prays together. Number two, a healthy church praises together. Now, I want to tell you, there's no substitute for worship. When we talk about the principles of the church, worship is at the forefront of everything we do. Nothing is so sweet as worship. I wonder today what is going on in so many churches where there is an absence of praise. An absence of praise. You know that we can have meetings and we can have committees and we can have services and all kinds of things, and yet there is no worship, yet there is no praise. Think about this. I love this. There's a French saying. I've never eaten a whole lot of French food except for French fries. But there's a French saying that is this. Every great meal begins with a great Hunger. Pretty good. Now, I'm kind of hungry. I'm looking forward to a little bit of snacks here in a minute. Every great meal begins with a great hunger. And we wonder why is there so little worship and so little praise. I believe there's so little hunger for it. It's almost like I want church to somehow entertain me. That's why I want the music to be the kind of music that I like. I want the music to take me back to a different time and place. I want to tell you, when I was a little boy, I didn't quite understand, although I liked the music, I didn't quite understand why my parents were so wrapped up in the music of the 1950s and the 1960s. But I understand now that it took them back to a different time. Now I'm going to tell you, when I was a teenager, and there's a few of you here about my age, There were groups like Def Leppard and Poison and Guns N' Roses. Y'all are about my age. Can I get a witness? True story. A young man in our church, um, a little bit younger than me, and um, was saved. We had the privilege of um, of getting to know his family and just God's been at work there. It's a work in progress. But this dear friend, uh, he he loved the Lord and he loved his pastor. He wanted to do something for me. And he had heard me uh, in a message say one time that when I was a teenager, I liked to listen to Guns N' Roses, the old ballads of the 1980s. And uh, on my birthday a few years ago, he flew me. uh, I didn't know where he was flying me, but he flew me up to Dayton, Ohio, met me at the airport, took me into Cincinnati 
and took me to a Guns N' Roses concert. True story. But I want to tell you, when I'm there and I'm listening to that music, part of me thinking, Lord, please don't come back right now. Uh, I don't want... I don't want the rapture to happen and me be caught up here. Uh, you know, uh, I looked around. I never forget. I said, what in the world? Is somebody burning their shoes? And he said, no, it's marijuana. I never smelt it before. Honestly, I hadn't. And it was, I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to go to heaven with marijuana on my clothes. I won't smoke in it, but I was somewhere near it. But anyway, I, I digress. But I listen to that music. And the reason I enjoy it is because it takes me back to a different time. A time when I was stronger and faster. I had more hair, you know. I had more life ahead of me, those kind of things. And sometimes we think, well, church should take me back to a different time. There are many people that don't want the church to be changed. I don't want the carpet changed. I don't want the lighting changed. I don't want the music changed. I don't want the smell changed. It's true. I'm going to tell you, when I go to the church that my parents go to now, my grandparents went there, um, I can walk in the building with the blindfold on and I know where I'm at because it has a distinct smell and it takes me back to a different time. I promise you this. If your grandma's house smelled like mothballs, and if your grandma's been dead 50 years, you can walk into a home with mothball smell and you will instantly be taken back, transported to a time with your grandma. I can't explain it, but smell and memory go hand in hand. And people like to be taken back to a better time. But praise is not about taking us back to a better time. It's focusing our minds on the greatest time, and that is the time that we spend in the presence of a holy God. So what does praise accomplish? What's its purpose? Do we do it just so we, you know, we can be obedient to Scripture? I'll give you three things. Number one, praise rallies the saints. You think about this. I don't know if, if the young people of this church typically go off to, to summer camp somewhere. If not, I happen to know a camp that's a 38-minute drive. You can get there in a minute, you know. Anyway, um, but, the, you know, you think about it. These young people come back from camp, and they give testimony about how God's working, and they're, and they're emotional, and they're weeping, and they're hugging, and they're talking about what an awesome time they had and how they're closer to God and one another than they've ever been. Do you know why? Because for one solid week, they have worshipped the Lord together. There is something powerful about worship. Whenever we go to to big revival services and and you see things on television, you know, listen, Billy Graham understood the importance of having some good music right before he preached because the saints of God rallied around that music and rallied around that theme. Number two, though, praise releases the Savior. I don't understand all of this. Maybe in glory I'll get it. But it is possible for us to quench God's Spirit. It is possible for us to limit what God will do. You remember I mentioned one night about Nazareth. The Bible says in Nazareth, Jesus did no mighty works there because of their unbelief. And there are many times I believe that there is an amazing move of God that is ready to take place But our people just are not poised to receive it. I could give you a hundred stories, but I'll give you one. 
Paul and Silas in the dungeon, midnight hour, they've been preaching the gospel in Philippi. Long story short, a fortune teller gets saved. Because of that, she's no longer able to earn a lot of money for those who owned her. And uh, so they turned them in, they threw them in prison, and they're there in the midnight hour. There are rats nibbling on their toes. There is raw sewage running over their legs. They have been beaten. They have open sores. The stench, the smell would overwhelm you. They were there, uh, literally, if a body were to die, they would leave the body there to rot to make the environment that much worse. I mean, it's rough, y'all. Paul says, Silas, are you there? I'm right here. Uh, well, I tell you what, how about you sing and I'll preach? No, you sing and I want to preach tonight. But whoever did the singing and whoever did the preaching, the Bible said they prayed, they preached, they sang, and they praised. And get this, y'all, get this, don't miss this. If, if you know that story, The Bible says that as they prayed and as they praised the Lord, that suddenly the earth began to shake, the walls began to quake, the bars began to break, the chains began to fall off. There was a great move of God after the worship service had already begun. Now I'll tell you, had I been in that basement, I might have been singing it, but it probably would have been something like this. Gloom, despair, in agony on me. Has anybody ever watched T-Hall? You're supposed to go, oh. But they were praising the Lord. And listen, I would have, I would have understood if as they were there chained and beaten, In that terrible situation, I can understand that if there would have been an earthquake and the bars fell off and the chain slipped off, then they started praising the Lord. That would make sense, right? But I want to tell you, it wasn't the miracle that prompted the praise. It was the praise that prompted the miracle. So here's the deal. Whether it's a church or whether it's an individual believer going through a very difficult time, we can look around at our circumstances and situations and just give up, or we can say, we are going to praise you even in the midst of this storm. There was a moment a few years ago in our church that nobody will ever forget. One of our gentlemen, it was, um, I believe it was a Memorial Day service, if I'm not mistaken. It may have been Easter. It was a big Sunday. Uh, We're the only church in town that has big Memorial Day Sundays and big Fourth of July Sundays. But anyhow, and um, our special music that day was I Will Praise You in This Storm. And this one particular gentleman stood to his feet as best he could and put his hands toward heaven because he was terminally ill nearing the end of his journey. And everybody in that place who felt sorry for him and was hurting for him and was weeping for him, in that instance they turned their attention to him and saw the one there nearest to death standing and praising the Lord. I want to tell you, praise releases the power of God. Number three, praise rescues sinners. There should be enough worship going on in the Lord's meeting house that it draws people from all around us. Now think about this. We go back to that little story about Paul and Silas in the midnight hour. What happened? You know the rest of the story. The bars would break. The chains would come off. The the, the prison literally now was broken apart, was wide open. The jailer sprung in and was about to take his life because his life would have to be given because he had lost those prisoners. And Paul spoke up. And I'm going to tell you, if this had been Cameron, 
I'd have said, go for it, buddy. But Paul said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. He didn't say, Paul, or Paul didn't say Silas and I are still here, but the convicts have escaped. But he said, we are all here. Literally, these men who were in prison made the decision in that moment they would rather stay in the dungeon of a Roman prison where the gospel was being preached and where the worship was being uh, felt than to have their freedom outside of that jail. Why? Because the worship of God and praise will rescue sinners. Whenever people who are lost think about the church, they do not need to think that that's a place of fighting and feuding. They do not need to think that that, that's a place of condemnation and criticism. But they need to know the church is a place of praise and worship. I have never known a lost person to visit a church service and to complain about the worship. I've known a lot of so-called saved ones too. But I want to tell you, lost people want something to believe in. Lost people want something to celebrate. Lost people want something to worship and someone to worship. Number two, a healthy church not only prays together, a healthy church praises together. Number three, and we're done, a healthy church participates together. That's really what I want to concentrate tonight as we leave you. Where are you at? Statistically, about 20% of the people that attend any given church are participants and the other are spectators. I remember years ago I was coaching a a basketball team and we had a little boy who really didn't want to be on the team but his mama thought he needed to and uh, so she had him to join the team. That'll bless your heart. And he would come to practice and he really didn't want to practice. He would come to the games and at that time it was before I guess the phones so much but he had a little Game Boy, a little electronic device and he would bring that and he would sit at the end of the bench playing. Well, the rule was that every player had to play. And certainly I would want to play all the players anyway. And I remember going down and saying, come on, buddy, you got to get in the game. And he'd look at me and say, do I have to? I would really rather just sit here on the bench, coach. I I trust the team. They don't need me. They're doing better off without me. I can't contribute that much to the team. I'm not that good. Can't I just sit here on the bench? And might not want to wring that little boy's neck, you know? I don't understand that. Why don't you want to get in the game? Because when I was a little boy playing basketball, I tell you how it went. I was the point guard. Now they had a second string point guard, but my goal was for his feet to never hit the floor. <laughs> and I remember even in, as a teenager in high school playing basketball, I, I would every once in a while glance over at the scorer's table. And if that second string point guard had gotten off the bench and had walked over and knelt down in front of the scorer's table, what that meant was that I was fixing to come out of the game. So immediately I went into panic mode. I've got to keep the ball alive. I cannot let the ball go out of bounds. I cannot let a foul happen. I cannot let anything happen because I want to stay in this game. Beloved, I just want to ask you tonight. Do you want to be in the game or are you perfectly content just to sit on the bench? Kind of playing games. I think about somebody sitting at a 
a train station just sitting there, not doing anything, just waiting on the train. That's kind of how a lot of people are. Now they're sitting there singing about the glory train that's one day coming and they're perfectly content to let the 20% do the work and, and they'll just enjoy and after all the 20%'s doing a fair job, I think we'll just let them continue to do it. I appreciate your heart for your pastor and, and I appreciate his role as a bivocational pastor and the fact that you understand that there are limits to what he can do. But I know as a pastor of a church, for the most part, the church will let you do anything and everything that you're willing to do. I remember, and I've shared some of these stories, but uh, many, many years ago, I, I, I made sure that the buses were washed and the vans were washed because nobody else would do it as good as I would do it. You know, I wanted everything done just a certain way. And there are those within the church that thinks nobody can do my job the way I've done my job for 86 and a half years. So I'm just going to keep on doing it. Listen, I want to tell you something. There's a wonderful value in having a church that is made up of different aged people. You've got senior adults. You've got middle-aged adults. That's where I am. I'm middle-aged. And then you've got the teenagers, the young families, the teenagers, and the children. Here's what we're to be doing. We're to be passing those responsibilities down to each generation. I remember one time talking to a lady and she said, and all of her children went to our church and she said, well, when we have homecoming, I tell them, don't you worry about bringing anything. I'm going to make enough for our whole family. And she was bragging and I said, well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I was just kind of picking on her. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you do that right on, one of these days you're not going to be here anymore and they're not going to know how to fix something to bring the homecoming. You know? The Bible says this. And by the way, I'm not opposed to a church that has multiple services. Our church had multiple services for um, 15, 16 years or whatever. But so many times a church becomes polarized. And the older folks, they hunker down over here in this service. And the younger folks, they hunker down over in this service. And the younger people and the older people never interact. And there's not that ability to pass those things down, to pass the wisdom down, and to pass the understanding of Scripture down, and all of this. But part of it is passing the responsibility of being the church, teaching the next generation to participate. I mean, literally, I know folks who, who will tell their children when they get out, listen, don't you worry about tithing. Your daddy and I will just give a little bit more at the church and we'll cover your tithe. No, we're to teach them to tithe. We're to teach them to serve. We're to teach them to get involved. So think about this. How do we participate together? Number one, it begins with a common mindset. Here are the two mindsets that we can have. I've got to serve the Lord or I get to serve the Lord. The Bible said that you and I are partners in the gospel, that we, come, we literally uh, you know, come together to accomplish thy will. Now, the mindset of the church today in so many ways is what is my will? I want my will accomplished. And I'm not talking about you. I'm saying as a pastor, I said, well, here's how I want things. And here I, here's, here's how I like things. But when I participate together, I have to understand that everybody brings something to the table. Right? What is the difference in a symphony and a marching band? I played in the marching band when I was in junior high. I didn't know how to play any instruments. But I, I, when I went to this new school, I, I joined, I took band class, and automatically you're in the marching band. I'll never forget Mr. Purvis. That was his name. He said, Mr. McGill, what instrument do you play? 
And I thought I'd be funny. I said, radio, sir. <laughs> he didn't think I was funny. <laughs> so one by one, I tried some instruments. My parents loved it. I thought the saxophone looked simple. It was kind of pretty. So I took it at home, and I sounded like a Canadian geese uh, that was dying. And after a few days, my folks didn't think that was working out. I brought home a trumpet because it had less, less buttons on it. It didn't sound no better. And I went through all of these different instruments. And Mr. Purvis, who was a godly, wonderful man, he was so patient with me until he finally found the perfect instrument for me. You know? Sort of. The symbol. <laughs> I'm dead serious. The symbol. Now you think on that for a minute. The symbol. Here was my job. It was in Danville, Virginia, a city known for steeples and hills. And Christmas parade of that year, I was so excited. I had my uniform on. Of course, it was too big for me because everybody else was normal size and I was shrunken. And, uh, but I got there, had that little helmet on and all that, and I had my one symbol. And I was so proud because I had a role. I had a, a point, a purpose. And it was to walk backwards in the parade with that one symbol out. And these two drummers would use my cymbal. <laughs> hey, I was first chair cymbal player. <laughs> True story. Looking back, I'm thinking my poor mom and daddy were probably so humiliated. Which one is your child? Uh, uh, he's out there somewhere. But anyway. But a marching band, if you ever watch a marching band, every person playing is playing the loudest and the boldest and they're making the most racket and now it's kind of common for the marching band to stop and actually dance and carry on and then get back to it you've seen that so that's a marching band but not a symphony a symphony it's dead silence until the conductor tap, 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 tap. and when that conductor brings those instruments in there may be a hundred separate instruments but they sound like one you cannot tell where one instrument begins and the other ends you cannot tell which instrument may be a little stronger or a little bit louder or a little bit quieter in fact, you can't even pick out how many instruments are playing or what the diff different instruments are because they are not competing for attention. They're not competing for who can be the loudest or who can get to the end of the song the fastest. But they're just coming together and making a beautiful melody. Mm, get this. At the end of the concert, Nobody walks out and says, that cellist was amazing. That flutist was perfect. But they say that orchestra was beautiful. Our challenge, beginning with me and for each of us, is at the end of the day, not to worry about if somebody walks out and says that preacher or that singer or that musician or that teacher. It's not about us performing our part and doing it better than anyone else or outshining anyone else. But it's about us coming together and doing something wonderful to the point that we complement, never compete. 
And that's not only true with this church, but it's true with all of the churches as they come together. There's a common mindset. Number two, there's a common ministry. We realize that we're all in this thing for the same purpose and the same reason. Number three, there's a common mission. There's a common mission. We're called soldiers. Did you know that? When soldiers go out on a mission, it's important they understand the mission. Do we understand our mission? I think I struggle with it constantly. I do want to have the largest church in the community. I do want to have the most effective ministry. That's just my nature of I just want to be the best at whatever I do. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I wouldn't want to be the guy that says I want to be the worst in anything I do, you know. But at the end of the day, do we realize it's not about anything other than the gospel? We're going to do an exercise in a minute to close the service, but I want to give you these three things real quickly. Number one, the finale of this week's revival, the finale of the body of Christ. What are we to be about, church? Number one, let our love show. Do you think today that the world knows that Jesus loves them? I really don't think so. And it's because they don't see that love lived out by the church. My father loves this story, and anytime I preach a revival and I talk to him, he say, well, did you tell him about Graham? So I'm going to tell you about Graham real quick, and it's just important that people get this. Graham was a fixture in Dublin. He never weighed more than 100 pounds. He never reached what you would call a adult mental state. He went through about the sixth grade, and that was as far as he could go. He lived with his mama his entire life. Graham had a responsibility, sort of a uh, self-imposed duty in Dublin. He was the one-man welcome wagon. He would stand out by the government apartments where he lived. He would go out and he'd wave at every car that came into Dublin and every car that left. Graham had a long, gray, white you know, beard, uh, uh, long hair, just a tiny little guy. Through the years, people got to be expecting Graham. People would go to the beach through Dublin, and they always looked forward to him. Well, it's probably been 10 years ago or more now. Graham became very sick. He had some heart issues, and ended up putting him in the hospital. He had numerous heart attacks back to back to back. Well, Graham has a brother that was a member of our church in Dublin. His name is David. David weighs in about 320, six foot four. Other than the fact that he has a big gray beard, you would never know that they were related. David, being his next of kin, got to the hospital and they were working on Graham. And the doctors uh, came out and talked to David and said, David, there's nothing more that we could do. No one expected Graham to live as long as he has. But at this point, his heart is just worn out. Probably tonight, he will pass away. Well, Graham was a faithful member of the little Methodist church right next to his home and was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every special event. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. And David walked in and 
Graham was there with a little oxygen under his nose and just so weak and so frail. And David went and sat down on the bed beside him. And he said, Graham, I need to talk to you. Graham's eyes got real big and he looked up at David. He said, Graham, do you know that Jesus loves you? Graham, do you understand me? Jesus loves you. Graham said, me no, me no. David put his hands on Graham's little frame and he said, Graham, Jesus is coming for you. Graham, Jesus is coming for you and he's coming for you probably tonight. And Graham smiled a great big smile and said, me ready, me ready. Friend, we can do all of the work of the church, but at the end of the day, there's a world out there that needs to know that Jesus loves them and that soon and very soon He's coming again. We need to let our love show. Let His love show. It's not about coming in here and singing songs about love or or having lessons about love, but it's about going and loving the unlovable. Loving people that that don't believe anybody could love them. I am convinced that the woman at the well had spent her entire life looking for love in all the wrong places and she found a love that wasn't physical, that wasn't sensual, but was deep, was to the heart. And she fell in love with Jesus in a way that she had never loved a man before and that it radically changed her life and her perspective. She was a hopeless cause by anybody's estimation until she realized that Jesus loved her. Number two, not only should we let our love show, we must, more now than ever, let our light shine. The Bible says that you and I are going to live in a a generation that is perverse and that is dark and that it is more necessary and more needful that we shine as lights now than ever. I brought a light bulb with me just to encourage you to think about what it is To let our light shine. Morris Creek Church, I want to ask you a question. Will you come here and help me for a minute? I knew you would. I want you to hold your light up and let everybody see it, all right? Scooch over here. All right, can everybody see it? All right, why don't we sing about our light? Do you all know that song? I hope you do because I don't do well at solos or duets or trios or quartets. All right, you ready? We're going to sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let you ready. One, two, three. Hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think we can do better than that. I think we can do better than that. I had another light bulb. He does that little light bulb set a little bit bigger. You want to come help me? I know you're cool and older, but come on, it's okay. I'm going to get somebody really old next time. Where's your sister at? Mean girl. I'm just kidding. You tell her, you tell her when she get when you get home that, that at least she didn't come fall asleep while I was preaching tonight. All right, you ready? Love that young one. Here you go. All right, now you ready? Now you stand right there. All right, you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, wait a minute. I think we can do better than that. Morris Creek Church. In in this community, how's your light? Is it a little bitty light? Kind of cute and dainty? Just so you can say, well, I've got a light. Maybe it's a little bit better, a little bit bigger, a little bit brighter. Or is it the light of King Jesus? Ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, 
I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Thank you. You did a good job. All right, girls, don't break my light bulbs. I might need them somewhere along the way. You know that. Don't be playing with my light bulbs, preacher, because I'm almost done. So number one, let her love show. Number two, let her light shine. And number three, just let our Lord save. We can't save people. All we can do is love them. We can't manipulate them or twist their arm or beat them upside the head with our Bible. All we can do is let our light shine. Let His light shine in and through us. Here's the exercise we're going to do, actually twofold. I want you to turn to the person next to you. You're going to need some help with this, okay? And I want you to hold your hands up. You are the body of Christ, okay? It's the hands that work. It's the hands that serve. We talked about that just the other night. So you've got your hands. Examine your hands, if you will. You see the tips of your fingers? That's where your strength is, right? That's where your strength is, in those, in those tips. But down here in this little webbing, there's not a bit of strength there. It's not good for much of nothing. It's just kind of there. All right, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I'm going to be your partner. And I want you to put your hands, and I want you to squeeze down, and I want you to notice something. All right? All right, do you see something? Your strong points have just covered right over somebody's weak points. Right? Hey, and do you know something? When you put your hands together like that with somebody, there is great strength in that. There, there, I mean, there's a bond in that that will accomplish something. Like, you're, you're good. Some of, y'all, some of y'all says, first time he's held my hand in 38 years. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church? Here you go. We can walk around talking about our strength or our weaknesses or looking at somebody else and somebody else's weaknesses, but there's a reason that not everybody has the same strengths. There's a reason that not everybody has the same you know, weaknesses. We come together and we complement one another. And when we do, we become so very strong. Last thing, you got to stand though. If you can, please stand. I want you to do this. You've probably done this numerous times in your church. We talked earlier. Our first point tonight was about the church that prays together. So we're going to close with prayer. I wonder, would you, would you surround this church? Make a big circle of prayer. Would you do that as we close? However you can, just around the church meeting house tonight. Mercy. I'm going to come up here. I prayed you tonight. All right. Everybody ready? 
Y'all are going to have to stretch around. Y'all should have invited more people. Oh, y'all got plenty of room. Stretch on out. Stretch on. I sure hope y'all stand next to somebody y'all like. All right. Y'all ready to have prayer? Is everybody ready? This would make a good picture if I just had a camera. All right. Is everybody ready? We're going to pray here in just a minute. I'm going to get over here. So I'm going to hold your hand, but that don't, don't, yeah, ain't going to. I ain't going to kiss you. Not on the first date. All right, we ready? All right, we're going to pray. Wait a minute. Have y'all ever done this before? You stood in a circle like this and prayed. Any of y'all ever done this? All right. We do that from time to time, don't we? Well, here's something I bet you hadn't ever done. So many times when we come together, we are the body of Christ and we love one another and we know one another and we can relate and identify with one another. We share one another's burdens and one another's joys. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of the body. But you remember my story the other day about Johnny, about how it's the, the chores that we do in the barn, but it's the work we do out in the fields. I want you to turn around. And as we close tonight, as we close tonight, I want you to think about this, that we leave and we go from this place as the body and tonight I just want to challenge you to think about the world that is outside of the doors of this church that desperately needs to hear the gospel, that desperately needs to see a church that is in love with Jesus, in love with one another, and that loves this rotten old world in spite of her condition, enough to take the light into the midst of darkness. Father, symbolically tonight, we have not turned our back on one another but God, we acknowledge that when we stare at one another in our prayer circles, we have in essence turned our back on a world. God, when we turn our attention just to what goes on within the body and within the, Lord, the, the bride of the church, God, we are missing the call to go and make disciples, to share the gospel with the world that so desperately needs to hear it. God, tonight I pray that you would challenge us to be a healthy church a church that prays together, that praises together, and that participates together to accomplish thy perfect will. God, give us a burden for the people around us, those in our neighborhoods, in our village. Lord, those in our workplaces and in our schools. Lord, I pray that we would not see this world as the enemy, but we would see this world as the beloved of God. And God, somehow that you would use Moores Creek Church to radically impact Pender County and New Hanover County and Bladen County and the surrounding counties with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if we do not take good news to them, they will never hear it. And if that good news does not reach them in time, then it wasn't good news after all. We love you. We thank you for calling us your bride. We thank you for using us as your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.